The Inside Vegas Podcast on the Sports Gaming Podcast Network is brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is your official online sports book of the Sports Gaming Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast. NFL playoffs are here, and it's time to get on the action with MyBookie. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. If you want to make money during the NFL playoffs, you got to go to MyBookie. I trust them, but you don't have to take my word for it. Check them out for yourself. Join now, and MyBookie will offer you a 50% deposit bonus, and make sure you have a nice bankroll for the upcoming NFL playoff run, including the Super Bowl. Use promo code SGP50 when you deposit to activate the offer. That is promo code SGP50. At MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, and you get paid. We're also brought to you by Odd Shark. Get free picks from the Super Weekender and expert writing staff, as well as data-driven editorial content. The latest odds for every big game and big fight from all uh, online major sports books. Betting stats and trends you cannot and will not find anywhere else. And as always, give them a follow on Twitter at Odd Shark and check them out online at oddshark.com. O-D-D-S, shark, S-H-A-R-K.com. Welcome into the Inside Vegas podcast. Today is Friday, January 18th, and a very awesome episode coming out to you guys. Looking back at what we learned from the divisional round, and of course, a look ahead to the conference championship featuring New England and the Chiefs and the Rams and the Saints. For this episode, we have probably one of the most insightful guests we've ever had on, uh, and that's Fabian Sumer. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work, um, everything is f- um, always posted for free, both on social media and on his website, suma.eu. No, it is not my Boston accent coming out from Vegas. S U U M A dot EU. And you can find him on Twitter at Suma, S U U M A 810 online. Um, he's put out some so much amazing content in the space when it comes to specifically NFL betting, which is his forte, a professional sports better and content producer. Um, an amazing year that he has had and put together. I'm just going to read you some of his. Um, his record effectively for the year, 63 and 48, 56.8 win percentage, 11.29 units, ROI, nine and a half percent. And probably the most important stat, average closing line value, 4.7%, beat the closing line 71% of the time. So we dig into so much stuff um, on this episode specifically his philosophy when it comes to handicapping the National Football League. And, and if you you don't know him, um, he's from Germany, um, lives in Germany. So we look at the differences between kind of the German market and the American one, um, his thought process and how much emphasis he puts on market entry, closing line value, which as you know from me, um, we have a great discussion on kind of why he believes the spread is not dead. Um, and so a great discussion on that, as well as everything upcoming in the NFL. So one of the most insightful um, guest that we have ever had on. I'm so excited to finally have had him on. He's, he's been requested more than once. So um, our two worlds were able to link up this week um, and it made for a, really an amazing episode. I really hope you guys enjoy it. And again, um, as always, please rate, subscribe and review guys. And this is Suma. And now joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast. Someone who has really made a, you know, when we look at handicappers as a whole, some people do one sport specifically, one sport, you know, one um, handicapper kind of dabbles in each and does a little bit in each market. This one really specializes in the NFL 
in the main sport is the NFL, and that's, of course, is Fabian Summer. Summer may know him on Twitter at Suma. Of course, the website, Suma.eu. Man, it is, um, you know, I've had people request you for a long time, and so it's a pleasure to finally have you on. Um, how's everything on, on your side of the world in lovely, cold Germany right now, man? <laughs> hey, Christian. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, it's uh, everything all right. It's um, very cold in Germany. Um and I'm just grinning out the winter now <laughs> and the rest of the NFL season. Yeah, exactly. So let's look back at that, man. Um, I guess we'll, we'll start with kind of your introduction and everything. I guess the order makes sense to do it that way. Um, so did you kind of grow up in Germany and kind of how did you kind of fall in love with um, the National Football League? And I think it's a little bit maybe unique in that you're not, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not, you don't, um, you're not in love with kind of college football, college football handicapping. You mainly stick to the NFL. So kind of how did that story come to be um, and really get you to the place where you are now creating content um, and all that type of stuff? Um, yeah. Um, as a German guy, I obviously grew up with a lot of soccer. Um, and that was basically my main sports to follow. Like, until I was, um, I would guess, 16 or something. And so in the late 2000s, like 2008, 2009, um, the years when the Jets made the championship games, um, I started getting into the NFL. And um, immediately I was completely hooked by the sports as a whole. Um, very complex um, sports, um, very fun. And um, I also wasn't mad about all those advertising breaks <laughs> like uh, many other Germans are. And um, yeah, football wasn't very popular back then. Um, and it started to grow like um, in the 2012, 2013. Um, we began to have a um, football show on Sunday in Free TV where they show and comment games. And um, yeah, and I think in 2009, I also... Um, kind of got into the uh, the sports betting, um, and I think it was a 2011, 2012 when I um, started betting on um, NFL games um, in particular, and started getting into all those um, betting forums. And um, I think in 2014 I started um, posting all my picks and write-ups publicly. On covers.com, um, that's um, I think most most listeners know that the famous um, sports betting website and yep. um, very famous um, sports betting forum. And I started um, posting my write-ups, uh, my information, all the games, my picks in the forums. And um, that's the season when I started um, started creating a following. And um, yeah, my threads became very popular. Um, I had a very good season to start and, um, yeah, that's, um, basically how I started, um, my following. And I think in 2015, I joined Twitter because in those forums, there are a lot of trolls and uh, people <laughs> who get very mad at you when you have a bad weekend and you can block them. And on Twitter, you can all block, you can block all those trolls. And yeah, so I started, um, tweeting out, um, all my stuff and yeah, um, that's basically my way into the, yeah, let's say, um, betting industry. So again, you being out in Germany is something that's that's really unique. Um, first of all, free my immigrants, ignorance, but is uh, sports betting legal in Germany? It is, yes. Okay. But uh, Ger Go ahead. yeah, but Germany is um, 
uh, one of the stupidest countries in the world when it comes to sports betting. I think we are the only country um, with a uh, with betting taxes. So um, when you go to a local betting shop, um, you have to pay five percent um, per bet uh, per win on um, yeah on every amount you you bet on. Is so that... let's say for example, uh, sorry for example, uh, you have odds of minus hundred ten. And um, uh, normally you would pay, uh, you would bet 110 to win 100. In Germany, you bet um, 115 to win 100. Wow, that's crazy, man! I didn't realize that. So, yeah. so that's and are there spots in again when you say local betting shop people, for people in, in the United States that may not understand this? Um, basically, in in Europe, Germany, all those type of places, um, like you have a convenience store, uh, you literally have a a effectively what's a sports book, um, you know, on corners. It's a literal store, yes. um, that you can go yes. in and kind of bet in. You know, if, for anyone that's been to Vegas or, or been to the, any of these states where legalized sports betting, and that for people that aren't betting just offshore through local guys um you can effectively be you know driving down the street you pull in somewhere um and you go to your local sports book that is not in a casino it's kind of a standalone shop which is probably one of the yes. coolest things in the world yeah exactly exactly yeah um, so true. let's talk about kind of, again, the more unique aspects of kind of where you are in the world, because number one, as we, as we record this, it's what, uh, six o'clock PM your time. It's, it's obviously early in the morning out in Vegas here. Um, so that, you know, the issue of, um, time handicapping, I think is something that bears interest just because it's another added challenge of doing this sport, um, from where you are and kind of, you know, games are, would be at what, that would be 7 PM would be your normal one o'clock, um, East coast American yes. time. Um, 10 a.m. Vegas time. Um, so it's uh, is that you know are you in the middle of the night kind of handicapping games or kind of how do you break that down, especially from a live betting market that unless you want to be up at you know two three four a.m. which obviously you've made that commitment to do so, um, but maybe that's not for everyone. But are there any other kind of unique challenges um, being in the part of the world that you are? Um, I don't really do live betting at all, but the only challenge is, um, for instance, on Sunday. Um, the the lines for the upcoming week week they usually open at the end of the second slate, and um, that's when it's um, around um, I think 1.40, 1.50 a.m. in the morning my time, and I'm obviously watching the games. But I um, even if I don't watch the Sunday night football game, I still have to stay awake to get um, to get a look at the opening lines and um, possibly play some uh, bets on some early lines I like. So that I would describe this as the lone challenge for me betting-wise. I want to ask you kind of, you touched on a little bit of kind of how you fell in love with football, but I want to talk about kind of the state of the National Football League in um, in Germany, just because it's such a unique aspect. Um, is it a popular sport over there, or is it kind of how Americans look at soccer as kind of second nature, and that kind of market will always be king with the type of sports books that are over there? Um, yeah, soccer is uh, the dominating sports over here. Also, when it comes to betting, um, you also realize it when you look at all those um, online sports books in Germany or in Europe. Um, soccer is uh, the the dominant sport um, with super amazing live betting options. For example, Bet365, they have uh, really crazy live betting options. And um, in Germany, uh, when it comes to what people like to watch, soccer is completely at the top. But I think over the recent years, um, football has really got into that second spot, I would say. Um, people, I would say people watch, watch more football on Sundays 
then they do, um, let's say, German basketball, handball, or tennis, or something like this. So um, soccer is absolutely dominating and will be dominating the, the, the next years, but football is really growing over here. And um, I think um, when the Super Bowl, uh, on, the, on Super Bowl Sunday, um, it starts 0.30 um, in the night, and I think we have uh, a couple million um, viewers on Super Bowl Sunday. So it's, it's, it's becoming really special over here and it's uh, still growing. Awesome, man. That's so awesome to, to kind of see, you know, just from, you know, when people, you know, most of my listeners are, I'm sure, are from the United States. So it's it's cool to see something that's different. And I want to, you know, kind of bridge this gap into um, your handicapping style and kind of how you um, break down handicapping the NFL games. The last thing I did want to ask you before we jump into that um, is why are you only um, handicapping and kind of fell in love with the pro game um, and don't really get into um, the collegiate level of the NCAA and college football, whether it be a contrast in styles. I was the same way for a very long time i only really enjoy the nfl and i've kind of um flipped that being as you know i i just enjoy the college game a lot more there's a lot more options stuff to bet on that type of stuff um so for me it kind of flipped but what led you to kind of you know love the the pro game um and not really feel the same way about at least handicapping wise the college side uh that's a really tough question i don't know if i have any real answer to that um i just i just love pro football and um, sometimes uh, on Saturday, I I also watch uh, some cultural pool. Um, we have a German streaming um, streaming uh, service called The Zone. I think they have it in Canada too. Um, they show um, college football with um, American and German um, uh, commentators. And as I sometimes get into watching cultural pool, and a couple of years ago, I also bet on it. I'm, I also bet some. Some sometimes on soccer, um, college football, NBA, but um, over the years, um, I, I can't really say um, how I got into it. But at some point, I stopped betting all the other stuff and just solely um, focused on on pro football. And I can't really say why. I'm just basically because the interest is uh, for me so special in pro football. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, again, I want to talk about your handicap and style, kind of how you break down games. I think it bears mentioning kind of the 2018-2019 NFL season that you've been able to put together up until this point. Um, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the most up-to-date stats on kind of your your um, content that you've been putting out there. And again, all plays free. Record 63 and 48, win percentage 56.8%, 11.9, 11 11.29 units, ROI 9.5. This is probably the most impressive stat here. Closing, uh, closing line value 4.7, beat the closing line 70.9% of the time. Um, that is some pretty sharp stuff, man, honestly. Um, and so, um, I want to, you know, kind of pick your brain into what is your handicapping style when you break down NFL, whether it is more film. Uh, I know you, you know, you've, you've taken some pretty interesting stances in, in more of the analytical, um, department and kind of what that stuff means as the game changes from that perspective, you feel a very, uh, very, uh, type of way when it comes to running the ball, which I think a lot of people will probably share <laughs> your, um, opinion. So feel free to, to kind of go into that and just kind of, um, you know, what your style is when it comes to handicapping games, my friend. Um, yeah, um, I think I, I always try to approach um, every game from all different kind of angles. Um, I like to look at different perspectives. Um, I know there are super many guys who create a power rating, uh, take a number, they, they check the um, odds board, and if any line is off by two or three points, they automatically bet it. Um, respect to all those guys. Um, 
Uh, I think there are many ways uh, that lead to Rome. Um, I personally, I always try to handicap the the uh, matchup and the situation each week, and then I compare the the market lines with my power numbers, mo model numbers, etc. But I'm not the guy who who doesn't bet against uh, my own numbers. Um, for instance, I think it was the London game Seahawks against Raiders. Uh, I was pretty low on the Seahawks and maybe a bit too high on the Raiders. Uh, I think the Seahawks were laying minus three. Uh, it was a neutral field game, and my personal line was a pick him. So I had the Seahawks uh, power rated um, um, basically close to the Raiders. Um, um, but at the end, I just took the way um, the Seahawks minus three because I absolutely loved the matchup. Um, if you, if if you know what I mean. So um, sometimes I um, I get certain power numbers or model numbers, um, but I like the matchup even though uh, so much that I don't bet just my numbers automatically. Um, and that's basically the way I bet. I I try. I start with the matchup and situation, um, and I think a very much a very big aspect is also looking ahead. So um, when the games games are on Sunday, I start um, looking at the upcoming week on Friday and Saturday, and to um, make some notes and um, pretty much where there are going to be some interesting market setups based on how teams perform on the Sunday, and then on Sunday night and Monday morning, I just go through every matchup. I make some notes, um, cap the matchup, the situation, look at injuries and stuff. Then I compare everything with my power numbers and my model numbers. And when I get a certain certain setup that I like, I'm just going to bet it. I want to ask you that, man, because you have a very um, old school mentality when it comes to this type of thing. Like you're not that this shouldn't be anyone's goal, but you are a you know you are so I don't say obsessed, but it's it's a good way um, in beating that closing line, which is as we know is as, mm. is absolutely everything. Um, but you're very big into market entry, right? You're m maybe more of the old school sharp mindset of. Um, like you said, power numbers. If a number is you make a number three and it's one or it's a pick, that's going to be a bet for you. Um, and and so where you know that I, I think I, I'm probably going with this is I'm going to you know drop my thesis on you of the spread dying within the National Football League <laughs> and kind of um, market entry not being the you know end all be all metric that it is. And again, the spread matter 42 out of 228 games in 2018 against pick games do not count 18% or 1.8 times per week when a favorite won they covered the spread or when an underdog covered they won outright 82% of the time this past season. Um, and I just kind of want to hear your rebuttal on this because I think it's so interesting to kind of see evolution of handicapping when maybe the data points that market entry is, you know, not everything. And again, I know that we, we've always kind of talked behind the scenes in, in, in group chats and, and stuff like that when mm. it comes to breaking down these games. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with, you know, kind of differing handicapping styles, which we definitely have, but you can't argue absolutely. with results um, that you have as well. Um, so I just want to kind of get your, your thoughts on maybe, you know, the new wave of handicapping handicapping in that maybe market entry isn't everything at this point if you kind of believe the data within the NFL when it comes to spreads um, yeah first of all um, what I said with the example of the Seahawks um, in that case I actually bet against my numbers um, just because I like the the um, the superb matchup uh, for the Seahawks against the Raiders um, I believe in beating the closing number and I um, I think this season, the, the difference in uh, beating the closing number 
um, was I think three units for me. So um, I'm up over a little over 11 units, and three units came straight from beating the closing line. Um, awesome! So, so good, man. Yeah. So um, some listeners might say, "Oh, it's uh, only three units over over a whole season. That's not much." But if you just um, go from a return on investments perspective, three units out of 11 mean a lot. Um, Imagine someone um, betting 10,000 per game. Uh, that's a difference of 30,000 on a season. So um, I think it's very important to beating to beat the closing number. Um, um, it's it's pretty hard to do, I think. Um, yep. Absolutely. Um, but in the in the long run, I absolutely believe that this is uh, paying off. Um, I think it might be even more. Um, interesting when it comes to baseball because you are dealing with all those um, high-priced money lines and when you get like um, a plus 140 early and it closes uh, 115 that's a huge difference um, when it comes to the um, spread is dead um, I look at the I look at it this way um, you are saying the spread matters in 82% of the games right yep so it, it so, mattered it, it mattered in 18% yep so it did not matter okay, so, in 882, um, right, you said. Yeah. So let's say someone is um, only betting um, favorites on the spread and dogs on the money line. In this case, um, and if you were betting 100 games, you would have a head start of 0 to 18. And on the uh, remaining 82 picks, you got to basically try to break even with the 018 head start. Um, for for instance, um, I have the opinion that you should always, almost always bet the money line um, when it comes to underdogs below a field goal, because um, one and two, pretty much in almost every case, don't matter mm -hmm. uh, because the the money line just outweighs the possibilities of a, of games landing on one or two. Um, but when it comes to um, three and higher. My own research shows me that the spread is, is still matters a lot, and it's really, really tough to um, even break even or have a very good season when you just bet the the underdog on the money line um, and the favorite on the spread. Because, for instance, um, let's say the the spread pushes, yeah, and you took the underdog on the money line. In that case, it's um, a push against a loss. That's uh, that's also something you have to consider. Yep, and um, I just think um, when you do this, you gotta be really sharp and you gotta be really good in picking all those um, underdog money lines, uh, because at the end it's just about getting um, getting to break even of that um, 018 head start. Yeah, for sure, man. And again, it, it's a lot easier said than done in the National Football League to just pick the winner, uh, despite the fact that that would win, you know, 82% yeah, of the yeah. time. That in and of itself is, is probably the hardest um, part. But when we break this down further and kind of into your handicapping style, are you more of someone that watches film? Do you look more towards the analytics side, someone more, you know, film the all 22 stuff, more into kind of what coaches um, do, you know, what kind of goes into developing your, your, you know, your own power rankings, your own power numbers, not to, you know, give you, you no know, give away your secret sauce or anything um but from a broad yeah. perspective is it more kind of analytical driven where it's more like it's more excel or is it more kind of um handicapping based on what you uh, see on film or kind of a blend of all of the things um it's absolutely um the the major part is absolutely the analytical part um i also try to watch every game each week 
Um, but um, I, I also only watch many games in the 40 minutes version in NFL Game Pass. So um, just I just watch um, snap by snap. Um, and yeah, it, it basically starts in April um, when I start to study all those teams. Um, uh, the draft, the free agency, how teams um, change from one year to another, um, which teams um, um, were underrated, overrated going out of the season, um, where, where we can basically expect some regression. And um, then the most important part for me is to, to understand um, coaching tendencies um, and basically what teams are trying to do to increase their pass efficiency on both sides of the ball. So um, that pretty much goes into uh, my um, preparations for the season. And what I'm basically trying to do is to predict which teams are, are set up to um, play well against their schedule and which are not. Um, and then, yeah, when, when the season starts, um, it's, it's just about each week. Each week it's about um, adjusting your preseason expectations by what you see on the field and by what you see um, in, the, in the weekly numbers, how teams are actually performing, um, how, are they, uh, how are the teams overrated or underrated um, after the beginning of the season. Uh, one team can play a very easy schedule um, and um, have, have a couple of blowouts. Uh, but then the schedule gets tougher and uh, those numbers don't really mean much. Um, and that's basically um, yeah, my hand-clipping approach. And then I um, basically try to combine all those information um, and come up with a power rating that basically gives me my baseline, but um, doesn't uh, solely define how I bet, like I mentioned, um, um, I, could, um, I could get a certain number for a game and the market is off, but I still won't bet it because I don't like the matchup, the situation, the coaching advantage, or, or anything like this. Well, let's shift over <clears throat> to playoffs um, because I think it's it, it's almost a completely different animal when it comes to regular season. In that, maybe letdown spots are as prevalent. You know, a team just doesn't usually. Obviously, everyone having something to play for, the biggest stakes in the world, um, they're not going to completely no show. And, and maybe you could argue, you know, the Chargers, quote unquote, no showed Indianapolis. Um, but I would argue maybe that one team was just way more prepared and it looked a little bit worse uh, from a motivational standpoint. How does handicapping the NFL playoffs differ for you uh, from handicapping the regular season? Um, I think the the difference between playoffs and regular season is just that teams have to bring their A game in the playoffs. Um, during, the, during the regular season, I think um, you had an article on that two, two years ago about the 10-3-3 rule. Yes. And I, I really believe in that. I, I just believe that... Um, those guys are professionals, but those guys are also humans. So I um, deeply believe that uh, teams can't, or all players can't bring 110% each Sunday. Um, and that maybe um, there are letdown spots, there are tough travel spots, um, there are spots where teams play uh, interconference games after two tough divisional games. And uh, I just believe that teams don't bring their A-plus game every week. Um, it's very important to find those spots uh, during the season. Um, but when it comes to the playoffs, aside of travel um, aspects, I really think that teams try to be um, as focused, as mentally prepared as possible, as, as they possibly could. 
and that coaching also um, try to get everything out of their back, po uh, back pocket and try everything um, they can to properly game plan for the opponent. And that's also why you see some different stuff. For example, um, the Rams last week, um, I think the Rams ran the ball pretty much always from under center. And now suddenly you see CJ Anderson running the ball out of shotgun. So these are the kind of wrinkles uh, teams probably wouldn't think about or wouldn't bring up during the season when they don't have all the time, like the bye week to prepare for the next opponent. Well, I think that's a good segue, man, because I, I want to kind of give you the floor in this because whenever someone feels adamantly about something, I think it bears merit, especially with the success that you've had. Um, I want you to kind of go into detail in your theory of kind of how uh, dead the NFL running game is and how establishing the run and how running the ball is really becoming uh, by the wayside um, for the 2018-2019 version of the National Football League and kind of what that means going forward from your perspective when it comes to um, handicapping, of course, but more uh, in terms of what teams should be doing in this version of the NFL? Um, yeah, um, I started doing the research in 2014. And in 2014, I also came to the conclusion that running has actually very little to do with scoring. Um, when you look at all those um, correlation percentages you get when you run some statistical analysis, you get to the point where you see that um, passing absolutely dominates um, the impact um, on scoring on both sides of the ball. So if you're able to efficiently pass the ball, um, you are definitely going to score points no matter how well or how bad you run the ball. Um, the best um, example where the 2014-2015 um, Dallas Cowboys, uh, the Cowboys had the exact same uh, rush efficiency in 2015 as they had in 2014, but they went 4-12 just because they had no quarterback. Um, Tony Romo had uh, was on IR, I guess, and there were guy uh, guys like Kevin Clement starting, and so they had the exact same rush efficiency, but they just couldn't score points because they couldn't convert uh, third downs through the air. Um, and when you look at all the analytical stuff, you almost um, always get the same um, conclusion that running really has little to do with scoring, and that passing really drives offenses in 2018. Um, for example, uh, it's very important what teams do on early downs, on first and second down. Um, the current four playoff teams in the championship games, um, they all rank top five in pass efficiency and they rank top four in early down success rate. And also um, these teams have a pass rate of 60% or more on early downs. Um, the pass is significantly uh, more efficient than the one aside of uh, obvious run situations like goal line and um, um, short downs like 13-2. Uh, These are the situations where you should still still efficiently run the ball. And I'm not saying that teams shouldn't care about the run game at all. Um, running the ball well is still um, better than having no run game. But um, in 2018 especially, teams should really focus to get their pass game going and um, to stay aggressive on early, early downs um, pass the ball more early downs to convert first downs uh, much easier and not getting into those uh, certain long situations like the Seahawks always do with Brian Scottenheimer now. And um, yeah, this season you really saw the teams made um, a leap when it comes to um, analytics. Um, last season on first down in the first half, uh, teams... Uh, only eight teams passed the ball 50% or more. 
Um, and um, those teams were teams like the Patriots, uh, the Saints, the Steelers, Kyle Shanahan, um, the Ravens. I think it was um, seven seven playoff teams um, passed the ball 50% or more on, on first down. And this season, this number went from 8 to 18. Um, and that's also why we why we see this this increase in scoring this season. I think we we have um, two points scored more per game. That's just because teams are realizing that they have to pass the ball in 2018, and they work on efficiently um, throwing the ball. So much good stuff in there, man. And the last thing before we review the divisional round and look ahead to the the championship round, um, something that's come up a lot in your your analysis is the coaching advantages um, and how much that plays into um, your handicapping. And so I guess I kind of want to blend the two together in terms of, you know, the old older school style of handicapper or I'm sorry, uh, of coach, we'll say, you know, um, guys that want to effectively run the ball, establish the run. Um, Pete Carroll comes to mind, maybe something of a unique aspect because they are probably the only team that do it. Uh, you know, right, I would say, quote unquote, or at least do it the best in that they're still able to um, effectively win games by running the ball as much as they do. Granted, there's some limitations with that offense and the things that they want to do, and they do have the personnel to do so. Um, but when you look at kind of where coaches are going, right, we, we've all seen the the funny memes of, do you know Sean McVay? Yes, hired. No, not hired. Mm-hmm. All that type of stuff, you know. Uh, <coughs> you know Matt Nagy coming in. Um, all these, you know, the, the new coaching tree or the new version of coach in the NFL, we'll call it. Um, do you think it's obviously, I, I would assume that you believe that that's a good thing going towards more of a, you know, pass-happy attack in the NFL. Um, but, you know, is coaching kind of evolving? And is that something to definitely keep an eye on when you're handicapping uh, the type of game plans and styles of these whether it be from a total perspective uh, or an against the spread number oh absolutely man um i think uh, it starts in january which uh, with all those um, coaching hires and sometimes what coaches say in their first presser with the new team is very important uh, for instance last season um i guess it was steve wilkes who who was who became the new coach of the arizona Cardinals, and in his first presser he literally said he he wants to run the ball. Uh, he <laughs> run the be, ball uh, he did, man. Offense. At nauseam. Yes. They're down 24 to 10, and they're running David Johnson off tackle 16 times a game. Drove me Absolutely. nuts. Absolutely. It was the <laughs> same here. Um, yeah, he basically says that he want to be um, a one-first offense, and he want to uh, make it a priority to stop the one on defense. And that basically told me that this guy... Uh, might have might be a defensive genius, a very good defensive coach, but he has no clue about um, how to run an offense in 2018. And um, this kind of philosophy and how the Cardinals approach to the offseason uh, was the biggest reason for me to bet their regular season win total under uh, because I just saw no shot that this team with um, that bad uh, receiving uh, corp with Mike McCoy at offensive coordinator and a head coach that is willing to run the ball on first and second down behind the bad offensive line that they are going to win more than five games. Um, and so this is definitely something to keep an eye on, just um, trying to get a clue how these coaches approach their offense, uh, reading between the lines on those pressers. And um, for instance, um, let's talk about the Seahawks real quick. Um, the Seahawks uh, didn't win 10 games. And by the way, congrats on your um, season win total bet. I know <laughs> Thanks, we had man. a discussion last summer. Uh, I hated your pick. I thought the Seahawks <laughs> weren't that good just because of that coaching, but they, they completely proved me wrong. Congress, a great bet. Um, I think the Seahawks didn't win 10 games because of their one first approach. 
just uh, but they they won 10 games because they had Russell Wilson and he was so special this year. Um, there were games, for example, against the Cowboys and against the Panthers. And if you look at the rush efficiency the Seahawks offense pr- produce in those games, that's really um, a, a kind of rush efficiency that would rank dead last on the season. And they still won those games because at some point Brian Scott Nimer had to open the offense, had to give Russell Wilson the ball and spread the ball around. And that was basically the difference in those games, just uh, Russell Wilson um, being so good uh, and so so sharp through the air. Um, and yeah, in the first playoff round, um, I, I had the Cowboys over the Seahawks minus one, um, also beat the closing line. Um, and uh, that was basically, I would say, 80-90% of uh, my handicapping in that game was just fading Brian Scottenheimer against a good run defense because I knew he would run the ball on early downs and they would go into those third and long situations and uh, the Cowboys would have a significant coaching advantage in that game. I love that, man. So many, so many good things each and every time that we talk. Um, let's let's look back uh, before we jump into the championship round on the week that was in the divisional matchup. Uh, but before we do that, as always, the NFL playoffs are here, and it's time to get in the action with my bookie. Don't be that guy with no rooting interest as all your friends sit around watching the game. Not this year, not with the Super Bowl right around the corner. Join now, and my bookie will offer you a fifty percent deposit bonus to make sure you have a nice bankroll for the upcoming Super Bowl run. Use promo code SGP fifty when you deposit. Deposit to activate the offer. That's promo code SGP50 at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. We're also brought to you by Oddshark. Get free picks from the supercomputer and expert writing staff, as well as data-driven editorial content. Betting stats and trends you won't find anywhere else. And as always, give them a follow on Twitter at Oddshark and check them out online at oddshark.com. All right, man. So as we look at this divisional, um, the week that was in the um, NFL, uh, let's just it, let's start this way. Biggest surprises, biggest thing you didn't really see coming. Um, we'll, we'll start with, uh, we'll do AFC and NFC. I guess it doesn't really matter. We'll start with, with on mm-hmm. Saturday. Kansas City, Kansas City doubling up Indianapolis 31-13 and Dallas falling again to the Rams. Um, you know, when we look at this, I think it bears merit that, you know, I've always been my biggest proponent or my biggest thing um, that I put above all else in the playoffs is first year coaches and first year quarterbacks, especially if they're together, a la Trubisky and Nagy, uh, Goff and McVay a year ago, um, Dak and uh, I forget Dak first year, um, Watson, Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. all these guys. It, it, basically, you know, I've really planted my flag into fading these type of guys in their first playoff game. Basically, the moment just being too big, great success. I believe four and seventeen um, ATS. Uh, if you were to back those as a home underdog, and it's even worse when you extrapolate that out. Um, so to me. The when we look at the playoffs as a whole, really not a ton of surprise there. All of them taking early exits. Um, when we look at Dallas, I think at the end of the day, like you said, I think Amari Cooper really saved that season. Um, but you're never going to win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott. It has really been my my philosophy, especially with Jason mm-hmm. Garrett. Um, and I think you know on the Indianapolis side, things kind of went as expected. I think Indianapolis kind of overachieved this year. However, the offense and really the defense on Kansas City was the difference in what they were able to do there. Really, really stepped up um, was probably the biggest takeaway from the Saturday slate, um, but I'll let you kind of have the floor. Uh, I can only agree with you. I think you're really onto something with those um, first career playoff starts. Um, Yeah, I I was extremely surprised that the Colts had no shot at scoring at Kansas City. I was on the over uh, because I just thought that um, the Chiefs might might score 40 in this game, but I I never expected the Colts would stay below 20. I just, I, I thought um, with their with their 
great pass protector this year with Andrew Luck being razor sharp and Frank Reich calling good uh, good game plans. I really thought they would score a lot. Um, that they basically didn't score one single offensive points until like two minutes left in the game was really, really surprising. Was that um, more of an indictment on uh, Indianapolis or do you give a lot of credit to what Andrew was accomplished to kind of get this defense in good positions for this week? Um, I think it was a mix of both, but I, I lean towards uh, what you said about the defense. Um, I, I watched some All-22 in this game this week, and it was very interesting that the Chiefs um, played various forms of man coverage on those receivers and basically just disrupted all those uh, timing Andrew Luck um, wanted to establish with his receivers. And then on on the, on the at the line of scrimmage, that um, that great pass rush of the Chiefs with uh, D Ford, Justin Houston, and Chris Jones, they did a very good job and just got home. And I think they had like five batted passes against Andrew Luck, and the Colts also had uh, four or five drops. And um, it was just an awful awful p- performance by the offense. But I think the defense had a lot of, a lot to do with it. Let's talk about the Rams game because I think the big story here is going to be the LA running game. I and mean, when you talk about this type of offense, um, you know, and Jared Goff only th- putting up 186 yards, who's really kind of, I want to say fallen off, um, but has not been what he was in the beginning of the season. And then you look at the stat sheet, you see, you know, over 230 yards run for by the combination of the ghost of CJ Anderson and a banged up Todd Gurley um, really bears merit, especially in a playoff format to effectively take the strength of the defense that you you're uh, going up against and and basically saying, we don't care, we're going to run it down your throat, despite the high-octane passing attack. Um, And maybe a lot of this can be um, made of of Cooper Cup not being there as kind of that outlet third-down receiver. Um, But I would argue Josh Reynolds maybe not the biggest drop-off. I feel like the the Cooper Cup narrative at this point has maybe swung a little bit too far as if he is this, you know, the primary receiver in this offense, which frankly just isn't the case. He does a lot of things, um, but... Is that kind of the your opinion, the reason for a little bit of this offensive philosophy change, or was this just a game plan thing, um, something that McVay and company saw from the Rams' perspective? Um, yeah, I think it's it's a mix. Um, uh, we all remember that um, awful stretch Jared Goff had. Um, I still believe, I, I still don't trust him in big games, um, but uh, he had that bad stretch i think it was against the the lions where it didn't play well then they went to the bears and he got completely destroyed by the defense and and uh, since then since week 15 uh sean McWay really altered his approach a little bit um, they went much more one heavy on early downs and um i think last week we saw that defense isn't as predictive as um as offense when we go with efficiency stats for example um, the the Rams just uh, ran some different stuff on the Cowboys, stuff they haven't shown all re- uh, all year, and they just completely humiliated the uh, defensive front of the Cowboys up front. Um, I th- I know there are some memes um, about running backs don't matter, where just um, this offensive line opens up a I think five yard hole for Todd Gurley where he just runs through, um, and the. The special thing in this game was that the rush efficiency by the Rams was extremely high. Um, um, usually, when you take the average rushing performance of the she- uh, of the Rams throughout the season, they are the best one team in the league. But um, what they did against the Cowboys was was a crazy outlier, and I don't think that um, 
going run first and hiding off or let's say um, taking off some uh, taking some responsibilities away from golf isn't really that sustainable in the long run so i'm really interested in how they approach this game against the uh, saints this week so many good stuff man I, I, that's what I, uh, my question is is do you I, I we'll talk about that and when we talk about championship weekend actually so let's move on to sunday man uh new england takes care of business as a four-point favorite although probably the biggest decision from a sportsbook perspective here as everyone was awaiting the new england patriots to drop a, a divisional round which just doesn't happen eight straight is, is absolutely incredible um although again again this one at home I said this on the DFS podcast, New England, 20 and three now uh, in a home playoff games, three and four on the road, lost three straight uh, conference championship road games. So New England at home, the best bet in the playoffs is probably the best bet you're going to find. Uh, yet people flock to the other side. Um, this Chargers team, I've said this time and time again, much like maybe a little bit San Francisco, obviously with the Garoppolo injury, you can't predict that type of stuff. But this Chargers team was probably the biggest public darling. Um, I can't tell you how many people I knew that had some some Chargers AFC stuff, Chargers division stuff, all that type of stuff. And when you have a, a publicly backed and publicly supported team like that throughout the regular season, it makes sense that it would carry over here. But uh, New England really, I mean, a dominant performance, what they were able to do out of the running back position, not even running, rushing the ball. Um, but James White obviously setting all types of record in the receiving department out of the backfield. Um, and the magic of Nick Foles coming to an end in New Orleans. Again, all home teams winning, all favorites winning, all three out of the four covering. New Orleans escapes with a 20 to 14 victory thanks to Alshon Jeffrey here. Um, what do you make of the Sunday slate and kind of the, the we're still here, hashtag still here from New England and, and New Orleans taking care of business and, and narrowly escaping a, a scrappy Philadelphia team? Um, yeah, I got to say, um, in hindsight, the performance of the Saints um, was a little bit more special to me um, because um, the Chargers were just so awful in this game. Um, I said to some guys um, that, that uh, this was probably the, the worst game plan I've seen in a playoff game since Chuck Pagano in 2014 <laughs> when they lost like uh, 45-7 at Foxborough. Yep. Um, the Chargers came into this game and we all know over the years that um, the only way to get into Tom Brady's mind is when you press his receivers and you get front four pressure. And the Chargers stayed um, the, the complete first half in their cover three um, spot drop zone, zone coverage. And um, Tom Brady was just dinking, dunking, then uh, left and right, underneath stuff, uh, cover, cover three beaters all game long until it was... 35-7, uh, and the Chargers, Chargers still didn't realize that they have to play man coverage. Um, and then they tried to defend uh, the power run game uh, with with James Devlin with uh, six and seven defensive backs. Uh, and on the other side, um, I think they uh, on first on first down. <laughs> we talked about that earlier. Uh, on first down, they called five runs for 1.8 yards per carry. And on their five passes on first down, they had 20 yards per per pass uh, along with with one sack. So my question is, how can you go to Foxborough, you get behind, and you still call runs for two yards per carry? <laughs> so that's that was so, so stupid to watch. Um, at, and in the end, um, the Chargers can be happy that the Patriots took uh, one foot off the gas in the second half. Um, and yeah, this, the Saints-Eagles game, what was so um, amazing to me is that the Eagles uh, got up 14-0 uh, in, the, in the first quarter. The, the yep. Saints were kind of struggling. And um, the Saints, they, they didn't panic. They um, 
trusted their game plan. Um, they adjusted some things on defense. Um, were mixing man coverage and zone coverage. Um, um, Marshall Ledimore was um, getting after Alshon Jeffrey more often. And then uh, for the past, I guess, 50 minutes, they beat the Eagles, the current Super Bowl champion, with an extremely good coaching staff. They beat them 20-0 at home. Um, so this was really amazing to me to see that this Saints team is for real, that they can make in-game adjustments, uh, that, that they don't panic. Uh, Breeze was uh, on point with his accuracy. Um, and yeah, at, in the end, um, the Eagles had the chance to drive a touchdown. But I think if you take a look at uh, the last three quarters, the Saints really dominated the game. And uh, without that early um, underthrown interception, they might have won that game by, by more than uh, six points. Yeah, echo the, that sentiment exactly, man. That is that when you when you get down fourteen nothing at the end of the first quarter to the de- the defending Super Bowl champions, Nick Foles or not, um, to not get rattled, to not they didn't get away from what they do eg- at yeah. all, um, and that had a chance to go sideways really quick. I mean, and of course it did a little bit. That could have been a, a lot worse than it was, and and so for them to make those adjustments, stay calm was really says a lot about this team. Um, being at home, of course, definitely helped them, um, but this that. That performance once you th- kind of throw out that's that first quarter was was probably the most um the the most impressive of the weekend um for sure yeah. for me as well um so let's fast forward man championship sunday here um rams in new orleans new orleans both of the, both of these spreads basically a pick um given a flat three for home field advantage i effectively see out there when you, when you look at this mark uh, market i kind of made a statement that in my own head that whoever lost this game um when they played in the regular season i was likely to be on the other side of it uh when it comes playoff time i probably a little bit more than most i do subscribe to the theory that it's hard to beat the same team twice um i know some people do not believe that there's some data out there that kind of points both ways on this depending on kind of what metric you use and all that type of stuff um so i have a feeling i may find myself with a little piece of the ramps here just i think the narrative and not even from a, a number perspective i think this number is very fair and very right um i just think that in truth this game is probably a pick i get why the line is where it is there's a significant home field advantage for new orleans here um and the rams have you know effectively the passing side ha- has not looked great I, I definitely get that um who has let's say this one who has more on the line here in terms of we'll call it bragging rights but you know the narrative of of sean McVay changing nfl coaches here again if he didn't win that that last game would still be winless in the playoffs does McVay need this one um to kind of solidify his style and his brand of coaching in the nfl um obviously the you know um uh, Sean Payton and company Drew Brees not necessarily needing this game for anything as they've you know already won the Super Bowl. Who kind of needs this from an NFC side when it comes to the coaching more to kind of solidify what they do? Obviously, these are two teams in different directions in terms of youth and coaching and that type of stuff. Very different, um, you know, I don't want to say different types of teams because they do a lot of the same things, but different coaches, you know, in teams on the uh, end of the spectrum. I would say Saints window definitely closing while the Rams could be here for a very long time. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think the Windows clothing, it might probably be the last chance for Drew Brees uh, to win a Super Bowl in, in his career. But what you also said, um, Sean McVay has to win this game because um, I know that the media will go after him saying, hey, that guy is one and two in the playoffs. So where's all the magic? Uh, where's all the um, the coaching magic, the coaching guru? So I, I definitely agree. Um, 
Uh, it's it's the last chance for Drew Brees to win a Super Bowl, but um, also a big statement game for Sean McVay um, to not getting um, getting shredded by some media pundits. Absolutely. When you look at this game from kind of your handicapping style, be it analytical, film, all that type of stuff, um, what is you know kind of your thought process and kind of how you go about you know lean um, or whatever, whether it be a total, whether it be a side, kind of what you know what in your process points you to either direction on this team on this game as a whole. Um, yeah, to me, this game comes down to um, two huge components, and that's on the one side, Drew Brees against Jared Goff, and on the other side, um, just the crazy home field advantage. Um, I, I checked the number, numbers this week. Um, uh, since 2002, when the NFL expanded, um, championship home home teams, championship game home teams are 23-9 straight up, uh, winning by an average of a touchdown. But uh, when those teams also play their third straight home game, saying they um, are four weeks at home, um, they are the number one or number two seed, they are a good team, and they, they get that crazy home field advantage uh, that's, that they stayed at home for four weeks. These teams are 14-3 uh, straight up and 11-6 against the spread with an average spread of minus 4.4. And they win by an average of 12 points per game in those wow. games. So. Yeah, um, I think uh, Drew Brees is also 6-0 and in home playoff games, winning by 11 points per game. So, um, first of all, this is a crazy advantage. Um, the Super Superdome will be rocking. Um, it's very tough um, for opposing offenses to communicate uh, when, when this crowd goes nuts. Um, I think this will also be a, a difficult task for McVay and Goff because McVay is still trying to help Goff with audibling uh, when he gets to the line quickly. So they will have some communication issues. Um, the Saints obviously will get that extra bump from from the home crowd. And yeah, then it comes to Drew Brees against Jared Goff. Um, Jared Goff has had a great season. There was some MVP talk. But if you just compare home and road splits, um, at uh, sorry on the road, Jared Goff has, uh, let me check, um, 8% less completions uh, than he has at home. He's just at 60%. Um, uh, he has 6.7 net yards per attempt on the road, 10 touchdowns and nine interceptions. So I don't know what it is exactly is that he just isn't that good on the road. Uh, we saw it um, at Chicago where he had just no shot at driving, driving down the field. Um, Sean McVay against Sean Payton is a great coaching matchup for sure. But I just think the the version uh, we are seeing of Drew Brees, especially at home, uh, 23 touchdowns, uh, two interceptions, uh, one of the best, probably the best home passer in the league this season. Uh, I just think even if this game stays close, I would trust rather Drew Brees than Jared Goff on the road. Um, and this makes me um, leaning New Orleans in this one. And what's also very interesting, um, we see all those tweets by bookmakers with their current look-ahead lines for the Super Bowl. Um, and when you look at those uh, look-ahead numbers for the Super, Bowls, Super Bowl, um, the, the Saints are, for instance, um, two point, uh, sorry, minus one against the Pats, um, but the Rams are plus one against the Pats. So um, just when you look at those look-ahead numbers, uh, the Saints should probably be favored by 1.5 um points on a neutral field against the Rams just um, by the bookmakers numbers for the Super Bowl uh, but this game is minus three 
So I just don't really get this line. I think it should be a little bit higher. Crazy home field advantage probably uh, three and a half points. And if you add that uh, one or 1.5 points from a neutral field, the Saints should probably be laying uh, 4.5 or five points in this one. I love that, man. <clears throat> so much good analysis there, bro. That That's the uh, reason why I wanted to have you on. Um, so let's shift over to the AFC side here um, because I think that there's a little bit more that goes into this game than maybe just the X's and O's, the coaching matchups, all that type of stuff when you have a team like this um, in New England. First time in 67 games, Tom Brady is going to close as an underdog is absolutely incredible. And again, Crazy. I, um, I tweeted this out so First time in 67 games that Tom Brady will be an underdog. Crazy stats in a long time to show how much Brady has dominated the market in the NFL, right? So again, I said this before, as we break into why oddsmakers have taken this something of a little bit of a bold stance, taking New England as an underdog, New England has not won a road playoff game since 2006. And during the playoffs, New England is 20 and three at home while three and four on the road, losing their last three straight road conference championship games. Now, um, Again, I said this on the DFS podcast that we did earlier. The post-game interview of Tom Brady as a sports better will have you ready to run through a wall for this team. Um, Being self-aware that you are an underdog, I think, is something that cannot be um, understated. I mean, you look at the run that Philadelphia had last year with the the dog mask, the Mm. home dogs, all that type of stuff is very real. I don't know if you saw this, but Julian Edelman has started selling t-shirts that effectively say, you know, Mm -hmm. bet against us. There there is a very real underdog disrespect mentality to this New England team, which could be a very dangerous uh, proposition in betting against them. That being said, um, you know, uh, this Kansas City team, if that defense shows up that showed up in Indianapolis, this is going to be a very tough game. And I just pointed out all the struggles that Tom Brady and New England has had on the road. However, when you look at the, the kind of outlying factors of how motivated this team is, and at the end of the day, you forget it Maybe I think it's very easy to be complacent and get happy when you've been to eight straight playoff championship games or AFC championship games. Uh, this may be the hungriest, maybe outside of the suspension uh, year, the Tom Brady FU tour that rolled along. Um, this may be the most motivated this New England team is as an underdog. Um, and again, bears mentioning this weather, an Arctic blast circling above Arrowhead Stadium <laughs> temperatures, you know, maybe z- minus five to about five degrees game time. Um, seeing this total definitely tick under a little bit here. Um, maybe professionals just getting out ahead of that number and of this weather. Um, how do you start to break this one down when there's, you know, an underlying factor of one, the weather and two, the, the motivation factor, which has clearly never been higher as an underdog role for knowing an, an unfamiliar role at that. Um, yeah, first of all, I completely get what you're saying. It seems like this, this Patriots team is, uh, in, in fact, extremely motivated, but I just don't really buy that because it's the Patriots. It's, um, the best team of this era, the best, um, head coaching quarterback duo. And, um, I don't really think they are in that, um, public underdog situation from betting perspective they are um with the spread being at three they are still favored on a neutral field um because i think they should play a little bit more of home field advantage for the chiefs than three um so i don't really see how they are that public underdog like the like the eagles were last year um <laughs> i absolutely love that um julian element t-shirt i would buy some of it <laughs> um <laughs> absolutely but i don't really buy i think they are maybe trying to make that up a little bit um because it's 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 the patriots it's not um the patriots with a backup quarterback like nick Foles last year um 
um, playing against uh, those juggernauts um, like the, the Vikings who, who were, I think, um, minus three at Philly last year. So um, I tend not to overreact to it. Um, I have um, tremendous respect for Bill Bilchick and Tom Brady. And if one team can go to Arrowhead um, and win there this game this week, it uh, will probably be the, the Patriots. Um, but all things considers, uh, considered, I'm still leading um, Chiefs in this one. Um, let, let us talk about the weather. Um, I think um, the recent forecast um, said that it's not going to be that cold. I think the, the forecast yesterday was um, 20 degrees Fahrenheit uh, for Sunday. Um, the Pats are a cold weather team, absolutely, but uh, Scott Kachmer uh, treated it out uh, today, I think, or, or Ben Baldwin. Um, they are 36 in cold weather games over Brady's career, mm -hmm. but 30 of those games were at home uh, or against the Jets or the Bills. Um, <laughs> so I think um, that uh, I, I've heard uh, Colin Cowherd um, talking all week long about the cold weather angle uh, that it favors the Pats, but um, I, I tend not to overreact to it because um, the Chiefs they live in that cold weather. They are practicing outside. Uh, it's not like, um, let's say, the Dolphins or the Jaguars are going to play at Arrowhead this week, um, and they um, and and one team has a significant disadvantage. Um, so I I try to focus on the matchup. Um, obviously, the coaching advantage always lies on the on the Patriots side. But I think if if one coach and one quarterback can really uh, beat the um, the Patriots in the playoff game. I think it's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. We talked about the pl first playoff game angle earlier on the podcast. Um, I think Mahomes is special. I think he he isn't that usual quarterback in his first season. Um, in his first season alone, he has seen so many different and tough environments um, like Monday Night Football at Denver, coming back from two scores down against a loud crowd. He played at Foxborough at night. He played at Century Links, uh, Linkfield. Um, he had that great comeback against the Ravens. Um, I think that that game by Mahomes against the Ravens, to me, was the best quarterback game uh, all season because just of um, how many plays and how many great plays he made out of structure. Um, and one key aspect to me is that's a little bit underrated. I think uh, Mahomes will become the MVP. But he basically played one third of the season without his um, starting center, starting right guard, and um, starting wide receiver too. Uh, Sammy Watkins uh, missed nine nine full games. Basically, um, he was on pace for uh, eighty nine catches, uh, one thousand two hundred yards, and seven touchdowns. That's not a bad line for a wide receiver too. Um, he will get his starting right guard back this week. Um, his center is back healthy. Eric Berry might play, which might give the defense a little boost. Um, and I just don't think, I don't see how this Patriots team that was so bad on the road that they just go to Arrowhead and um, and beat the Chiefs. Um, I think there's there are too many advantages for the Chiefs. Uh, the crazy home field advantage, uh, best offense in the league, um, best uh, team by efficiency in the league, um, and significantly better than the, than the Patriots. Um, first time this season, the, the starting Chiefs team, uh, starting Chiefs offense will be. Uh, healthy or, or the first time since week five. And if I combine all that, um, I think um, with an improved defense by the Chiefs, with Eric Berry back, uh, with a healthy offense, they will just score more points than the Patriots. And I like the Chiefs in this one.
as we wrap this up, I, I want to talk about a couple more things in this Patriots game. One is this one, much like the Saints and Rams game, both of these teams have already played um, each other. Do you look at that um, matchup in your handicapping style? Because again, I, I think it bears merit to know that these two teams played each other. Obviously, the road team um, or Kansas City won the first one um, and the Saints won their, their first matchup with the Rams as well. Mm. And um, the second thing that I wanted to uh, bring up was the, you know, New England is is in Bill Belichick specifically world famous for kind of taking away your best option, right? Make something mm. else beat you. Whether you believe that is Tyreek Hill or whether you believe that is Travis Kelsey, um, is it just whoever, you know... It, um, pro football focus came up with their season end grades. Stefan Gilmore, the number one cornerback by their mm-hmm. metrics in the league, obviously should be shadowing Tyreek Hill. Um, would maybe, you know, lead you to believe that one, maybe some coverage over the top. Does that leave Kelsey or, you know, if that, you know, if either Kelsey or Hill are taken out of the game plan, how do you see Kansas City still being able to beat them? And is it just as simple as of if Hill is out of it, it's going to be Kelsey that beats them. Um, and I want to go back to the rushing defense of Kansas City, obviously being effectively the worst in the National Football League. Michelle over 100 yards, three touchdowns last week. Um, does that scare you? Away? Not scare you away, but does that um, are those kind of you know a little bit of red flags from the Kansas City backer side, uh, perspective? Um, yeah, I think they they uh, Bill always has some plans, but I think um, if I look at, at at the whole offense of the Chiefs and the schematic things um, Andy Reid uh, does on a weekly basis, I think um, even though if you come up with a superb game plan, um, this team will still find ways to beat you. Either if they put Terry Kill on motion, so, so they so that you can bump in at the line of scrimmage. Um, Run pass options. Um, I think last week against the Colts, they started with 13 different formation formations on their f- uh, first 13 plays. So I think, <coughs> so even if the pads are going to be prepared, um, Patrick Mahomes with plays out of structure and uh, that many weapons, I think Sammy Watkins very underrated in this game. Um, I think he might have a big game. Um, I think they will still find ways to score points, and um, they are going to dictate what the what the Patriots will do on defense. I, I, I just don't think that you can go to Arrowhead and um, just say, okay, we have an average or maybe above average, I give it to them, uh, defense and just um, just we do something that the Chiefs can react on. So I, I just think um, the Chiefs will be able to score points. Um, they will they will be highly aggressive. They also showed in the, in the first game that they can score points. In the first game, the, the Patriots... Defense did their job in the first half. Um, Bill Belichick threw a lot of things on um, uh, at Patrick Mahomes. Lots of uh, disguised coverage, the different blitz packages, and uh, Mahomes really struggled during the first two quarters. But then uh, he completely, um, yeah, dominated the game, um, starting with the last drive prior to halftime, um, where he just had that crazy third and fifteen completion to. Uh, Tyreek Hill, and then he had a tipped interception in the end zone. So uh, the Chiefs definitely had um, some unlucky bounces in the first game. I think they could have won that game. And um, you have to think about um, the Pats didn't have one single punt in that first game. They had zero penalties and they needed 43 points to beat Mahomes. And now they are traveling to Arrowhead and I just don't don't see how how this Patriots team competes on the on the road with this with this Chiefs team from start to finish. I think it would be a different game at Foxborough, absolutely. Um, and what you just said, I think the Patriots will be successful um, running the ball. 
um, um, especially out of 2-1 personnel. But at some point, when the uh, Chiefs score points, um, you can't just rely on your one game. You have to open uh, the passing game. Tom Brady will be uh, in the pocket throwing the ball and needs more longer completions. And then I think the Chiefs um, can play aggressively man-to-man um, -man, and the pass rush will get home. And that might just be the difference. Just that um, angle that the Chiefs will be able to score and that Brady have to keep pace um, via the air. And I think that's that will be the deciding factor in that game. So much awesome analysis, man. I, I cannot thank you enough for, for coming on and kind of sharing your, your style and your thoughts uh, on the week that was and the week ahead um, in the AFC and NFC Championship game. Um, as always, guys, you can find him on Twitter at Suma810, S-U-U-M-A. 810 and all of his content found online at suma.eu that is s-u-u-m-a dot e-u I want to kind of give you the floor man as we wrap this up to um, plug anything else you have going on in the space I know I just kind of gave you your website and Twitter but anywhere else um, if anywhere that people can find you and kind of um, anything else you have going on because you've just been putting out so much amazing content with such a success rate again going back um over the season for you, 63 and 48 for 56, essentially 57%, 9.5 ROI. And again, most importantly, closing line value 4.7 beat the closing number uh, by over 71% um, of the time, man. It's so absolutely incredible, super sharp stuff there, bro. So I want to give, give you the floor. If there's anything um, that you'd like to add or, or anything in general, thoughts um, gambling wise for anyone looking to get down this week, I know we um, obviously touched on the two games, but anything that kind of wasn't said or, or where anywhere can uh, anybody can can find you please the floor is yours uh yeah first of all um thank you very much christian for having me on the show it was a lot of fun talking to you um yeah um i think um even though the the off uh, the nfl season um, um will find its end in early february i will um have a lot of podcasting opportunities i think during the off season i will post a lot of interesting stuff uh, betting football related on my blog and on other sites um where people maybe um, can go into an exchange, information exchange. Um, and for this week, um, I think um, the very interesting part is how people react to that weather report. Um, the, the media um, advertising it uh, as the um, crazy Arctic blast, but I would um, follow the weather report accurately because just because it's cold, um, that doesn't have that a crazy impact on on the scoring um, at least that's what the data shows um, from the last 10 to 20 years um, the highest impact uh, on the game has wind and then at some point you get that precipitation with um, heavy rain and heavy snow but just because it's cold it doesn't mean that teams won't be able to score or um, they will suddenly go 80% run or something so I think that um, Arctic Blast is a little bit overblown and people um should be careful if they are going to bet the under so lately because it's cold. Yeah, man. And again, you tweeted this out amongst some other great things. People freaking out over this snow with that total being bet down. Wind is really the driving factor when it comes to over under. Snow is, when you look back at the data, snow and rain, uh, unless it's, you know, monsoon conditions um, are, are really useless. I'm sure everyone remembers the the Detroit game with Calvin Johnson. I think he had like 200 yards <laughs> through yeah. the air um, yeah. in the blizzard. Um, Patriots teams have, have always gone over a ton. So don't think that snow and cold is an automatic uh, bet your house on the under, man. But again, Again, cannot thank you uh, enough for coming on and sharing so many, so many valuable um, pieces of information, man. Again, find them online at Suma810 and Suma.eu, man. Can't thank you enough, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you, Christian.